Welcome to another installment of the Open Assembly Podcast. I'm your host, John Windsor, and in this episode, I had the honor and privilege to talk with Jody Miller, the co-founder and co-CEO of the Business Talent Group. Business Talent Group was founded in 2007. Yes, you've heard me right, 2007. They are one of the pioneers for hiring on-demand talent, and to this day are regarded as the premier marketplace for companies seeking high-end expertise. Jody has an impressive resume with a proven track record and is a driving force in the open economy. I always enjoy our conversations, and I hope you do too. Please enjoy this podcast with Jody Miller, co-founder and co-CEO of the Business Talent Group. Hey, this is John Windsor, and I'm here today with Jody Miller of Business Talent Group. Hi, Jody. How are you doing? Hey, John. Great to be here. So tell us a little bit about you. I want to know about you personally, not so much about the platform, but tell us about your career and how you even got to be involved with BTG. Well, I will do the abbreviated version. I'm a lawyer by training, started out on Wall Street at Cravath and really loved it. Then for personal reasons, moved to South Carolina and ended up as legal counsel to the governor, Dick Riley, amazing man, and then got the entrepreneurial bug started a company that merged with Lehman Brothers back when Lehman Brothers was a company that was a good thing to be a part of. In South Carolina, there wasn't a lot of high finance. There was a lot of industrial revenue bonds. And I ended up doing public finance and some corporate finance for Lehman down there, which was fascinating. And after seven years in South Carolina, I decided I needed to get back to the Northeast and ended up being very lucky and was selected as a White House fellow. In the uh, first Bush administration, I was an active Democrat, having worked in the administration of Dick Riley, who was a Democrat, but it was a nonpartisan program. And I ended up going to the Treasury Department and working there, which was a really amazing experience. And when that ended, I decided I did not want to go back to South Carolina yet and uh, got into the media business and started a documentary television division for Time Warner which was really fun. And then Bill Clinton won. And I had the chance to go back to the White House with David Gergen. With David as counselor, the president, I went in as his one person to help him. That was an amazing experience too. And then when that ended, I wanted to go back to the media. So I ended up being employee number one for something called AmeriCast, which was the digital television joint venture between Disney and five telcos. So you can just imagine what that was like. It, it's actually come full circle. AT&T buying Time Warner is kind of the culmination of that effort wow. back then. That was fascinating, but it was impossible to run. I uh, ended up running that venture. It was very difficult when you have five equal partners on the telco side and Disney on the other side is very difficult. But that led me to venture capital, which I did for about eight years with Mavron, the fund Howard Schultz started with Dan Levitan. And I'm almost done. Don't worry. And uh, it's great. Uh, and you can edit this any way you'd like. But, you know, I did venture capital and that really taught me everything that ultimately became important for BTG. You know, I learned a lot about starting a business and creating value and raising money. And they also is what led me to even see the idea for BTG. Essentially, I was looking at what used to be Upwork, Elance. And I was fascinated. That deal was just emerging when I was at Mavron. I became very interested in the whole human capital space. I looked at a lot of expert networks. You know, GLG had a number of competitors that were being funded back then. I think Vista was one of them. So I got interested in this area 
And at the same time, I was being called to be an expert and do consulting on digital television because I had you know, just led a venture. And I would get calls from really interesting people. And one of them was PBS, Corporation of Public Broadcasting and PBS. And I said, look, I'm not a consultant. I don't want to be a consultant. I, I wouldn't even know how to be a consultant, but I do know a lot about interactive TV. Let me find you a former McKinsey consultant who will do all the consulting stuff. But when they really want to know about interactive TV, digital TV, I will give them my knowledge. And before I knew it, on the side, I became the largest outside contractor to the Corporation of Public Broadcasting and eventually did six projects for them and PBS, culminating in the entire digital strategy for PBS. And when we finished, and they were all different teams, you know, I would put three people here and two people there. And when I finished the work, the CEO of PBS at the time was Pat Mitchell, a woman I'd known for many years. And she said to me, you know, Jody, what you're doing is very interesting. She said, nobody else is doing this. This is better than anything I can get from any consulting firm because I get the consulting people and I get the real experts. And it's like a third of the price. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, better, cheaper, unique. Well, those are three of the four things you look for when you're an investor. Yeah. So I became a little obsessed with it. The hardest, the fourth one, of course, is scalability and business model. And so I spent five years convincing myself that there was a way to make this scalable and a way to create value. You know, and also it was like being a VC is a good job. Like, you know, scrap that and then do a startup from scratch. Like, that's a big choice. And so it took me a little while to decide I was obsessed. But I became obsessed, John, and I became obsessed for two reasons. One was initially talent. I'd written a lot about the fact that there's just not enough optionality for people with talent in how they want to construct their career. You know, there's kind of one model. And I knew that if you could present, you know, a host of regular great project work, there are a lot of people who would choose that as a career path, at least for part of their career, maybe not their whole career. Mm -hmm. But there was nobody doing it. You know, Elance was going in a different direction. There were a couple small companies in Europe. There was one company in the U.S. that was trying to do this. And I actually you know, looked at buying them and almost did because I didn't want to do this from scratch. At the end of the day, I just decided it doesn't exist. I believe that this needs to exist. People need options. Talented people should be able to exercise their talents in different ways. And... I also knew from running a business, being a VC, being you know in the media, people always needed somebody to come in, you know, for three months, six months, and they could never find them. Like you know, or they would just telephone. You know anybody? And I just thought this is a market. This needs a platform, and so I started it. But I did raise money from day one because I just didn't want to do a whole bootstrap thing. So that's yeah. a long answer. That's question. awesome. I love it. No, and it's so great. You know, I and mean, I think I, you and I have both been around the block for a long time and seen a lot of stuff and have such varied careers. And to me, it makes me more passionate about it. I'm just like you in that my reason for being is like, I know so many talented people that are stuck in jobs that don't really want to be there, that don't fit their life. And wouldn't it be awesome if we could liberate them to do what they really want to do, right? So the old passion economy thing. It makes sense. It makes sense from the talent side. It makes sense from the company side. There's a place for people like BTG to provide real value. 
it's just taken a lot longer than <laughs> any of us thought for it to become the kind of, you know, ubiquitous solution. Yeah, for sure. Well, tell us a little bit about the platform. So BTG from day one made a few decisions. One, we were going to be for high-end talent that could go in and provide value immediately. So if you're just out of school, you're probably not able to just walk in and, and provide enormous value on your own. So we, we've always focused on that segment of the, but, that, but that's across management consulting and operators and project managers and interim executives and subject matter experts. So it's broad, broad function, broad industry, high level skilled talent and brand appropriate. I mean, one of the things that I saw was the people who we were hoping to attract are people who cared about their brand, right? They'd gone to good schools, they'd worked in prestigious companies. So we needed to create a brand that they felt comfortable with. And so we've always you know, tried to make BTG a place that felt consistent with the credentials and expertise of our talent. The other big decision we made from day one and it really came out of my own background, was that we were going to go after the big companies, knowing what we thought we knew, how difficult it would be, but we knew it would be more difficult than SMB. But to me, the reason it was important was because the talent we were attracting wanted to work with companies that were similar to they'd worked with in their past. Mm -hmm. They're happy to do projects for smaller companies and they can be fun and exciting, but they also wanted to do you know, big stuff. And so we felt that it was important to, to focus on these enterprise clients because that's what our talent wanted. And honestly, over time, we felt they were the ones you had to crack to make this really viable. So, you know, two big decisions were broad function, broad industry, high level talent, and really the, the biggest companies in the world. Hmm. That's great. So tell us the founding story. What is the founding story of BTG? Well, it really was the work we did for Corporation Public Broadcasting. I mean, I was at Navron and I was asked to be a consultant on interactive digital television. And I said, you know, I'm not a consultant and therefore I won't do this, but I will find you a consultant. And then when they need the subject matter expertise, I will provide it. And from that conversation, I ended up as the largest outside contractor to the Corporation of Public Broadcasting over a couple of year period, put in six teams, you know, small, two to four people. Um, it's how I met my partner, Amelia Tiagi. She was a former McKinsey consultant. So I brought her in to do the, what, the consulting side, and then I would provide the expertise. And then when we went into other areas, I would find other experts. So it was very organic. But, you know, when I'm doing millions of dollars on the side, and I said, yeah. you know, Pat told me, you know, you're unique, you're cheaper, and you're better. I came by it honestly, organically, both, as I said, wanting to really help talent have more options and recognizing that as a manager myself, this would be useful. So mm-hmm. we, we started, I said, it took me five years. I kind of buried that part in my first answer, how I ended up That's here. Okay. But, you know, it, it was very organic to opportunities I saw in the market to my own view of what was missing in the labor. I think, you know, I've always thought of BTG as a new piece of human capital infrastructure and therefore really had the potential to change the way work got done by companies. Because as much as it was restrictive for individuals, it's also restrictive for companies. So my choice is I have to hire full time and all that entails in terms of time and risk. 
Or exactly. hire a consulting firm who comes in with a barrage of people, you know, with their model and their vision, or I have to scrounge around through my own network or through this one or that one. I mean, the idea that it would become, and I always use this as utility, mm-hmm. just like you know to call Hydrogen Struggles if you need a permanent, you know, CFO, you should know that there's a set of companies you call when you need fast, high-level talent to do, you know, things that are capable of being projectized. And that would be the other thing I would say about all this. In order to make this work, the concept of projectizing work, which is something we have, you know, really um, advocated, I've written about this for 12 years, is part of this. People have to think about work differently. And managers have to be a little less lazy, quite frankly, (laughs) and, and say not, oh, I need someone to run marketing for me. They need to say, I need someone to come in and create this digital social campaign. And I need someone who can do this. And so it requires a level of planning and organization that I think managers typically were not doing. You know, And the other thing I would say is it was very important to me as we built BTG to build BTG in a different way. So we, from day one, you know, would say to people, all right, you know, you don't have to work 100%. You can work 80%, you know, or... You know, so we made it modular even within our own business because my view was if I can't do it, how can I expect anyone else to do it? You know, and so so we have been very committed to, you know, different ways of structuring work even within our own employee base. That's awesome. Well, tell us what categories do you work in specifically? So the talent types are former management consultants, former executives and operators, subject matter experts, project managers, and interim execs most of our talent hit many of those buckets. So I think 67% are both management consulting trained as well as having worked in companies, which we think is fantastic because they both understand how to be a consultant and they understand how to go in and create value that's really usable value. And so that's the type of talent. And then we're very broad from an industry perspective and a function perspective. That's great. So tell us one good case study from the platform, like one customer success story. I know it's hard in the management consulting space. One of the things we're really proud of is we do a lot of work in life sciences. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I've all I'm not I have no life sciences background. So it didn't come from connections or, you know, it mm-hmm. came really organically from the market. And when I started to think about why life sciences was an early adopter, it all of a sudden hit me. Life sciences, each drug is a project. And each drug goes through the same series of steps from, you know, creation, market assessment, regulatory, distribution, marketing. of the, you know, So it's repeatable. And their needs spike depending on how many drugs they have in the mix and where they are in the cycle. And so it turns out that this is a particularly good case study for any company, because drug companies have just worked this way. So we did a business plan to you know, distribute malaria drugs in third world countries. We have done all sorts of what we call market access, which is you know, bringing drugs to, to the market. We do pricing studies for clients. One, one uh, CPG client, this was a couple of years ago, they were seeing their market be eroded by individual online competitors you know, in the consumer product space. You, know, you can pick any one of a number uh, that you can imagine, and they didn't have the kind of digital talent to f- even figure out what to do. So we created a whole digital talent team for them to come up with a strategy for how to compete. I mean, one of the things that's interesting about this market 
is, and even more so now that we have much more openness to remote projects, is you've got a lot of companies who literally can't recruit mm-hmm. certain kinds of talent. And so I'll give you one other case study that was um, really interesting. It was a big media company. You know, you think a sexy media company should be able to hire whoever they want. They were getting into the gaming business and they could not hire any of the great gaming talent because all of those people wanted to start their own companies and they literally would not take a job at a traditional large media company. So what we did is we found a couple of people who were working on their own companies on the side, but would give three days a week to the media firm. And the media company was so desperate for this talent, they took it. And they discovered they only needed three days a week from this person. Like they could get what they wanted. And it was a win-win. And so what I love about all of those stories is it's helping talent, but it's also helping companies understand that there's just different ways to get this work done. So those are three. three yeah, those are, that's so great. I love it. I love the, you know, your focus on the talent. I think it's super important and there's nothing more exciting for a company when somebody comes in with not only a fresh perspective, but is just really excited to work in the way that they're working and really drive it up. Right. Instead of like, it seems like a lot of times when you hire somebody full-time, even at senior levels, first few months are all about how do I fit in and what's politically correct. And, you know, when, when you hire open talent, there's none of that because they're just there to do the work. Like they want to well, do the work. I mean, you know this better than anybody, John. I mean, when we do polls, other people do polls, like 86% of these people are happier within, you know, six months of working this way than they have ever been in their professional career. And the big myth about this talent pool is that they're doing this because they don't want to work hard or they want flexibility. We surveyed over and over. They're doing this because they want professional control. They want to control who they work with and what they work on. And many of these people are working harder hours-wise than they were working in a traditional job, but they're not doing the politics. They're not trying to be rainmakers. They're actually just doing the work, which is what they like. Yeah, that's awesome. So with this disruption of the current crisis, what are you seeing out there? Like what's, what's happening with BTG and the clients? Yeah, you know, look, we're, we were lucky that life sciences was and is a big part of our portfolio. And some of the more disrupted industries have, were not our deepest spikes. Right. So that part's been really good. The metrics in our business have been extraordinary, quite frankly, in this period. So things like extensions, like our projects are extending at a much higher rate. Now that makes some sense, right? If someone's in and, you know, but still, I didn't know. 95% of our projects shifted immediately to remote and continued. You know, again, we were bracing for half our projects are going to go away. So, you know, margins are strong. Project size is stable. So all the core metrics are fine. There's no question there are weeks when we see demand headwinds when, you know, when everyone was, moving into their homes and had to get, right. you know, supplies. People were not as active. You know, I think we're very lucky that we're in a business that has a value proposition that works mm-hmm. in this period, works for companies, works for talent. So we're okay. People used to always ask me, you know, are you, are you actually counter-cyclical? And my answer is always the same. And I think it's still true. I think we're always going to be happier with a good economy, mm-hmm. but we're lucky that we can be relevant in a troubled economy. And the one thing I will tell you, John, we lived through the last recession. I literally deposited the last investor check on like two days before Lehman crashed. And wow. I'd raised the equivalent of series, series A and we just didn't spend the money. 
you know, we knew because that in some ways, that first period after Lehman crashed was harder than mm-hmm. the immediate period of COVID. Yeah. The whole economy shut down. Right. So, but what happened was once things started to stabilize, like 2010-ish and then, you know, we grew three consecutive years over 60%. And then over six years, you know, an average of 40%. Like this was the best growth we've ever had. And it makes sense because what I've decided over the years is that uh, BTG is a leading indicator. We know before anyone else when there's things kind of tightening up and we know when it's loosening up. And we had the best month we've ever had, June. So wow. um, that's a good sign. I mean, the volatility of this particular market is it's not something I'm prepared to predict going forward. Right. But right. I, what I do know is what happens after times of turbulence companies don't just flip a switch and say, okay, everything's back to normal. We're just going to go back. They dip their toe in the water. And when they dip their toe in the water, that's when platforms like BTG can be particularly helpful because we move really fast. We are less of a long-term decision. And interestingly, after the recession and even during the recession, 90% of our work was growth and innovation. And first I was confused, like, why isn't it all supply chain or cost reduction or whatever? And then I realized it's because when companies go through these periods, what do they do? They focus on near-term revenue. And what mm-hmm. they don't do is put resources against the future. Right. And so the minute they rec- they sort of see things stabilize and they go, oh my God, I'm behind. And they immediately turn back to innovation and growth. And that's when they called us. So to me, it was just fantastic that, you know, the project flow was all around innovation um, and we just did, I'm just pulling up for you. We just, we're about to release this week our top 10 most in-demand skills for 2020. Yeah. And we yeah. did it pre-post-COVID. Market landscape is number one. And, you know, I'll send it to you. It's coming yeah. out soon. I'm looking for the post-COVID ones. So, oh, here it is. Ah, 10 fastest growing skills in the time of COVID. E-commerce and internet strategy. Yeah. So one of the first projects we did was a, a grocery store chain that had, you know, on its roadmap one day to enable online and all of a sudden they do it overnight. Right. Mm -hmm. So that was number one product development is in the top three, you know, so it is digital transformation. Right. So, you know, I think the answer is COVID is a drag at the highest level on everyone. Right. But for companies like BTG, it will ultimately be, I think, a lot of a rocket booster when things stabilize. Yeah, it sure seems like we've moved, you know, five to 10 years forward in the whole digital transformation conversation, right? Especially knocking down the archaic view that remote work is, you know, somehow less trustworthy and, you know, all these new, new digital tools. I, I find it really interesting. I find it interesting that the work we do is digital, yet the way we organize the way to get the work done is still very much rooted in the industrial age and the analog. And, and we need to bring those two things together for sure. So, so tell us. When you have a client inside that organization, who's the core customer? Like who, who buys your services, who engages with you, who seems to get it? So BTG operates like a lot of companies in the space on, on two levels. We have our end user customer who tends right. to be heads of strategy, business unit heads, HR. I mean, it's the user. It's the person with the issue that needs to be addressed. And, you know, that's how we built the business, through those users. And a couple of years ago, we realized that the market was, we thought, ready to create 
a kind of, that's kind of the bottoms up, right? You know, we're working right, directly totally. with our database. We decided it was time to create both products and services and relationships at the enterprise level. Mm-hmm. And at the enterprise level, you know, there's not a natural owner uh, because this is still, despite the fact that, you know, Upwork in one form or another has been in the market almost 20 years, there's still not a, right. there's still not a normal place you go. And so it could be procurement, it could be HR, it could be the CFO, it could be the head of strategy. And honestly, we've worked with all of them at the enterprise level. I would say, interestingly, the the group that I think has been the most uh, forward thinking has been procurement. Mm -hmm. I agree. And that's been because they have, at least in our case, if you think about BTG, one of our value propositions is that we're very, we think a better solution for what we do, but we're also a less expensive solution, you know, when you compare us to major consulting firms. So procurement was early, I think, to identify this as a place they could make a difference in their organizations. HR is now kind of woken up and said, wow, you know, we need to be thinking about this because if you really think about it, the value proposition is much more than, oh, I can save money on my consulting project. It's I can accelerate the inflow of talent. I can access talent that I couldn't get on a full-time basis. Create a world where I don't need to make a full-time permanent commitment. I mean, all of those are values to HR that aren't values to procurement. So, you know, you've got a value prop for procurement. I mean, I have decks, client decks, where we have procurement value prop, you know, rest of the company value prop. So I think, you know, that is a challenge you know, we made the decision after watching the market and trying to try to drive our vision into these companies that that was not the right way to go. And we instead try to mold our our company into their existing structure, which has, you know, pros and cons. Yeah, for sure. Well, tell us about what, what's your biggest challenge currently? Our biggest challenge is helping companies and clients understand this market, know when to call the market, and Mm -hmm. setting up systems internally that can make it easy to access us. So, Mm -hmm. you know, all things that seem achievable, but honestly are difficult Mm -hmm. and take real time and real effort. So that's the basket of things I would say internally. Externally, you've got a very volatile regulatory environment that's heavily influenced by um, Uber and the the part of the gig economy that is lower paid and lower skilled. Yeah. And I think that's an issue because I think that's too narrow prism to look at this opportunity. Totally um, agree. But I think the bigger hurdle, I think actually the bigger hurdle is the, the corporate difficulty of penetrating these organizations. Because if you could do that, mm-hmm. then you'd have a constituency to say, wait a minute, all this stuff you're trying to do to appropriately, by the way, protect the workers at Uber right. is appropriate, but you have to, you can't paint with such a broad brush. You need, exactly. you need to understand this is a bigger issue. And so I think that's why I focus first on getting this to be truly integrated as a new way to get work done inside of organizations, because then you'll have the support yeah. to counter the regulatory issues. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with that. Exactly. And I mean, it's just as a side note, we had a discussion yesterday with Bology and Steve Rader and Diane and just going through and Bology was just bringing up, you know, just interviews with CHROs. He's adding, he's like, it's so amazing that like CHROs don't want to own it because it's not in their current processes and procurement folks want to own it. But it just kind of seems to fall in gaps where it's really not, nobody, it's, it's, nobody really owns it. 
And the big thing with HR, because I remember when we first started to launch the enterprise vision and we spent like, like Balaji, a lot of time talking to CHROs. And one of the questions we'd always ask them is, so what metrics are you measured on for your success? And when you hear the metrics they're measured on, you see why they could care less. Yeah, exactly. It's just exactly. not, it's about time to fill. It's about, it's all around the permanent mindset. Yeah, and, sure. and, you know, even the, the play, the standard playbook is, okay, we're hitting, you know, cost cutting. So the first thing we're going to do is get rid of all the consultants. You know, that's like the classic thing. Right, right. And my view is that's not always the smartest thing. No. Like, you know, and, and yet that's just, we're, we're fighting, you know, generations of both regulatory and management. Jack Welch, like it's all about keeping someone for 30 years. And, you know, and that's not the world we're living in today, no, but sure. nothing has caught up yet inside. Not yet. It will though, right? It will. <laughs> I, I mean, look, I believe it. I have been humbled by how difficult this has been and how long it has taken. And yet I'm buoyed every day when I see what we actually are doing and there's nothing unique about it. There's nothing we're doing that every company in the country shouldn't be doing. And so I kind of constantly, uh, you know, look at why is it so hard and wow, why can't we do this, you know, everywhere? Yeah, that's awesome. So tell us what's on your roadmap for BTG. You know, we've been on a journey to inject more and more technology into our business, both internally and externally. It's part of how we scale, quite frankly, and it's part of how we hope one day to engage with our clients. I will tell you, even the clients who we do manage to infiltrate and get to think about us on an enterprise basis actually are very wary of technology, of using technology. Mm -hmm. But I think that will change over time. So Mm -hmm. investing in technology, you know, over time, we'll probably add a few new categories of talent, mm-hmm. you know, more tech talent, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been doing that anyway, a lot more data scientists, AI, blockchain. But I think the market for, you know, we, what we haven't done is developers and, you know, people who are actually creative technology. I think there's no question that's a, a category that's interesting. You know, we've never gone into law. We think about that over time. But, mm-hmm. you know, basically, we think there's a lot of runway. You know, we opened in London, so we're already, you know, building up European and we've worked in 34 countries. So I would say, you know, most of what we need to do is continue to help companies understand the value of this and help them understand how to make it successful inside of their organizations. And that's that's what we're focused on. Very cool. So what would you say to a leader struggling to even get started in the adoption of BTG or other platforms like yours? You know, I think what I would say is it's a very, it's actually a very low risk, easy lift for them to say we have a new capability and introduce it. But I also think one of the really interesting tensions is in order to be successful, these platforms have to be accessed directly by the users, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It'll, because all of us, we work really fast. We're built to work directly with our users. We're not built to work through an MSP or, you know, a a middle person. Mm -hmm. And so I think the companies that have been really successful, in my opinion, have understood that. And I know this sounds very self-serving, but I, I actually think it's true. And they've been partners with us in helping spread knowledge and awareness instead of becoming a gatekeeper for us and trying to insert themselves in between. I think 
we've gotten to the point where if a company doesn't understand that this doesn't look like a typical relationship with, you know, a vendor, Mm -hmm. we're not going to spend a lot of time because it won't be successful. So I think, you know, it's letting in this new capability, not being afraid of it. And by the way, a lot of these companies, what our pitch to them is, look, this is all happening anyway. You just don't see it. And so if you will become our sponsor, we'll show you everything. You'll see exactly what's going on, but you can't then stop us from doing our job. And so, you know, these are all, these are very bureaucratic, you know, power kind of situations and we just got to work through. That's That's awesome. The advantage of SMBs is you don't have to deal with all of this. Yeah. The disadvantage is ultimately they're not going to be ongoing year in, year out, major clients. So that is a trade-off. Yeah. And I think what happens with SMBs, right? It's always the founder like you or like me who like is up three o'clock in the morning with an existential threat. It just says, I need to fix it today. Who am I going to call? Oh, there's BTG. I'm on it versus the bureaucratic, you know, you know, being able to get something through even at a small, small price. So yeah, we serve SMB. It's just, that's not the focus of our sales efforts, but for sure. Anyone can come to the site and say help and we'll help. So. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Jody, thank you so much. Our time's limited today. And so really appreciate taking the time to talk and always so inspiring to talk to you. You had such a wealth of knowledge and experience to bring to the marketplace. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. Well, thank you for the opportunity and thanks for all you're doing at Open Assembly. Thanks.